This is some bullshit. Welcome to the Bullshit Podcast. I'm joined today by my uncle. Hey. Uncle Sal. He's the person we were talking about previous episodes ago where... Um, well, not to cut you off. I, I want to thank y'all for... Um, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I can't live up to that because y'all gave me such a high pedestal, I guess. Yeah. Can we get some... Can I get some coffee? Now you see, we we thought, and well, I, I don't want to say thought as if we don't think of that, think of you that way anymore. But we thought very highly of you. That's cool. I feel like I did a good job. Yeah, you did. But the listeners want to know. They want to know more about you. They want to know what happened. What did you do? And and all the they want all the tea. Well, so if you want to. As much, as much or as little as you want to give, introduce yourself, and then we can go from there. My name is Salvador Marquez, Uncle <laughs> Sal, I guess you could say. I had a crazy upbringing, childhood, whatever I guess you want to call it, and I'm here to speak on it. What do y'all want to know? What do y'all want to hear? So, let's see. Oh, no. Y'all wanted to talk about- uh, The day of? The day of. What happened? Yeah, but leading, leading into that- um, we had mentioned we remember you going to prison or jail before, but I don't remember like definitely don't remember specifics on that, like how long. Oh, she had brought it up. Azalea brought it up, and this was um in my late teenage years. As a matter of fact, it was around the time that her mom was pregnant with her. Uh, before Azalea was born and her mom was pregnant. That's when you started going to jail. Pretty much, <laughs> and uh. I had went to jail for a little bit and I came home and she was born already. And that was, that was pretty much the first time I, I, I didn't really, I spent a couple of days in jail, but it wasn't nothing. I think I got probation for it. And when I went to prison later on, it was for that. So I got, had got put on probation for, for something I did when I was younger. And it caught up to me like years later when Isaiah was probably four. Oh, and she. I was in uh, Parker County. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was in. Uh, I had went to TDC State Prison. So it was prison. Yeah, it was prison. And she, she uh, came to visit me. Her, her, and her mom and a, a cousin of ours. They would always come and visit me. And uh, man, I remember Azalea would. She, I guess she didn't know where we were at, so she would come and she would just hang out because it was like park benches. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. I remember one day she she was collecting um, ladybugs. She collected <laughs> a bunch of ladybugs in a bag. In a bag. And by the time the visit was over, they were dead. And she wanted to take them home with her. That was that was the first time I went to prison. I came home. That time was like a slap on the wrist because as soon as I like two or three days later, I came home. I was already selling drugs again. So it was. I did like eleven months. It wasn't really nothing. And. I came out when that's, I was. That's still a long time. I didn't think it was that long. I came out when I was twenty-five, and went back to what I was doing—just selling drugs. Um, I thought I was living the life. Uh, I thought I was never going back to prison. Um, I ended up raising Azalea, doing the family thing, 
I had jobs here and there, but not nothing to support the family. I did, I did it. I mainly sold drugs. That was your income. Yeah. I think I was, I was old enough to, to see things, but not to understand the full extent. Yeah. So I remember like you, uh, like rolling in front of us or whatever. And I remember people would come, come and go like to the door, but I didn't think anything of it at that time. Yeah. And still, even looking back, that still doesn't seem as bad as... I tried to, like, hide it as much as I could. Yeah. Or I thought I was doing a good job, but eventually... I mean, obviously, I wasn't. And then, well, that time came. That time came and went. I continued to sell drugs. But by then, I was kind of... I guess there's... I guess you could say levels to it because it wasn't... I had already passed the, like, trap house stage. I had already (laughs) passed the... Uh, standing on the corner stage, I had already passed. You know, I felt like I was already Scarface, and yeah, I was. I had my family. I was. I was. I had people working for me. There was people beneath me, and I thought I was good until that day. Till the day happened. By then, I was already kind of settled down, doing the family thing. Um, I was coaching her. My daughter's softball team, Zoe's softball team, doing as much family stuff as I could do. I tried to hide it from her as much as I could, but um, shit, we all make mistakes. At, at that point or around that time, was it ever in your mind to stop? Honestly, I went through like some phases where there was times when I went through phases where I felt like I was working for the devil, I guess you could say, or I felt I, I witnessed family, I witnessed like families. Good moms, like good working moms, stay at home moms, like ended up selling their bodies at the end. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've seen tragic stuff. So I felt like I'm out here putting this drug out here because I do have a heart. I have a big heart. So I felt like, man, I'm the one that's out here putting these drugs out oh, here. Yeah. So I went through stages of like depression, like, damn, I need to change my life. But it wasn't never nothing to where you would actually do it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do it tomorrow or. I'm going to start tomorrow or whatever. But um, like I said, I was already, I was, I was still in the street, but I was doing the family thing more. And uh, I had this old friend that I knew from childhood, you know, childhood, middle school age. And we were kind of like partners, right? We were kind of, he was also the coach of uh, our little league football team, our girls football team and softball team. (laughs) And we, uh, we were like, we were, our daily routine would be uh, wake up when we wake up, you know, take the kids to school or do whatever we got to do. Go eat lunch, um, go collect money, drop off whatever we got to drop off, you know, maybe go to the strip club in the afternoon, <laughs> uh, you know, just hang out. with hang out. By the time it was, it was time for the kids to get off of school, we would go pick the kids up, do our family thing, uh, eat dinner by seven, eight, nine o'clock. Same thing go back to the street and do it all over again. So that was kind of like the routine then. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah. During that time, like I said, I had already felt like I had reached a certain level. I was, I, I did have a, a legit job. I had money put up. I had vehicles. Uh, we were stable. Everything was good. I felt like what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. So um, at that time, he, as a matter of fact, a friend of his had got busted with something very small. And for him to get off, he turned the cops on to him. So that's how the cops started following. That's how they got in, into our little circle or whatever. 
because we were, like I said, we weren't out in the street. The naked eye, we were just family guy, family man or whatever. We were doing our thing or whatever. We were spending time with the kids. Like I said, when we dropped the kids off, we had a uh, we had a three-bedroom house on the north side of Grand Prairie where we grew marijuana. What? The house was empty. In every room, there was plants of marijuana. And we would just go there. Back then, it was cool. We would cut. You know, we would grow. We would smoke. Talk about, you know, how we were going to use our money to take oh. trips. and. Be- Hold on. And then around around that time, we were also in the stage of like drinking lean. Lean was real popular. So my day would just pretty much consist of doing the family thing, getting high. So uh, he uh, he was being followed. Because someone snitched on him. Someone snitched on him to get a lower sentence. And then he started getting followed. And there was things that were happening. And it, it never fails. Whenever I ran into somebody in prison that I would talk about the story like, hey, well, what happened before? Everybody had signs. There was always signs like uh-huh. that this was going to happen or that was going to happen. And then uh, after you get locked up, you get you get your paperwork, which is called a discovery. And it tells you every single thing that they got. So pretty much when the feds got you, they got you. They know everything about you. At that time, he was getting he was buying cars from like, you know how when you go to houses and they have like cars sitting outside, they were like fifteen hundred or. 2000 or back then so he would purchase cars and he would send them to mexico to get loaded up with marijuana weed whatever and he would get them sent back so at that time at that time he was losing money because he was sending them over there but they were telling them that the money was getting jacked or something happened they got pulled over so he was kind of doing bad at around the time that the cop got introduced to him in his life so when the when the dude got busted and he introduced to get off his case, he introduced the DEA agent to my friend, my co-defendant. And uh, that sounds crazy. That sounds like. Have you ever seen Narcos? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's basically what it is. It's basically <laughs> exactly what it is. So, um, like I said, he was losing money. He was he was doing his own little thing because we had our own business endeavors or whatever mm-hmm. he was doing his thing i was doing my thing i felt like i was already good but i think in his situation he was losing money and you know expenses were due how we we were used to a certain lifestyle and he got approached with a with a deal that he felt like he couldn't refuse so they started doing business you know without me of course and situations would happen like he would get pulled over with dope on him and they would let him go and you know, they, they don't do that. I'm not saying he was snitching or talking. I'm just, you know, I've seen I've seen the paperwork, but they would let him go because they felt like they could bust him later with a larger yeah. amount. Yeah. Or um, cars would follow us. I remember a specific time I was outside. As a matter of fact, me and Azalea were doing lawn work and a helicopter had flew over our house. And as I hear the helicopter, I see my friend rose up with another friend of ours. And they're like, hey, man, check it out. Check it out. And I kind of walk up to him, see what's going on. And he's like, man, look, I think this helicopter's following me. I flip the helicopter off and I'm like, man, you're tripping, man. They're not worried about you. They're not worried. They're not worried about none of us. What do y'all? And if they are, why are y'all coming to my house? Like, why are y'all coming over here? So yeah. I get mad. I pick up a bat and I'm like, you know, get the hell out of here. I don't know why y'all come over here. They kind of like blow it off, but they do take off later on. Later on, I find out in the paperwork, it says that I flipped off an under, a undercover officer in a helicopter. So 
they pretty much knew everything. They were watching everything. But what's crazy is they didn't know about that house over there. Because, that, I mean, if they did, that would have been obviously more. Yeah. We would have got in trouble more. But that specific day. Oh, no, no, no. Let me go back a little bit. Um, as they continue to get acquainted, he starts telling me, hey, I got this guy from Arkansas. Um, he's coming by. He wants to know more about the business. Uh, he wants to get a large quantity. And I'm telling him, like, you know, that's your thing. That's your deal. I'm good. I'm I'm already good. I'm already doing my thing. Days go by. And like I said, he's losing money doing certain things. And the deal is starting to sound more and more enticing to him. And it's crazy because from one day to the next, the guy wants one pound of methamphetamine to now seven pounds of methamphetamine. And they've they've never done a deal. He's just like, yeah, I'm going off your word that everything. That should have been a red flag right there. Mm-hmm. you know. So um, y'all had came to see me. I was coaching her mm-hmm. softball team. Y'all had came to see me. And I think two days later is when it happened. That was the last time I seen you guys. The day before it happened, he had brought the drugs over to my house. Mind you, we're talking back and forth about uh, his situation and what he's going to do. He's trying to talk me into like, hey, do this with me and I don't want to or whatever. So by the time the deal comes around, he don't talk me into it. Not not by pointing a gun to my head, but just me being a friend and me be trying to be there for him. He, yeah. I, I mean, he didn't pull my leg or nothing, but he talked me into it, you know. So the day before he brings his stuff over to my house and he's like, you know, this is how it's going to go down in the morning. I do the family thing. I put the kids to sleep. I, I mean, my daughter to sleep. I know what's going to go on the next day, but it's not that big of a deal because it's not mine and it's not my deal. And it's not, I'm just basically going to drive them over there. If something goes down, um, the next day comes, I'm not feeling too good about it. I go drop my daughter off at school. I come back home. It's about 10 o'clock. He calls me and he, he comes over. And we're talking about the deal in my living room. And I'm like, man, if, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Still in the back of my mind. I have like knots in my stomach like I'm watching TV. <laughs> Still in the back of my mind. It's not my deal. Like if you, if you, I guess growing up in the game, you realize if I don't have it on me, if it's, if it's not my position, it's not mine. Yeah. I don't care. Right. So we're basically talking about how the deal is going to go down. He's telling me his brother is going to follow us in another car with the dope on him. We're going to go meet the guy. The brother's going to go down the street and park, hold the drugs. As soon as we see the money, we'll call the brother and tell him to come. I'm like, all right, well, that, you know, we're not going to have nothing on us. Again, not, everything's cool. I do decide to bring my gun just in case something happens. We drive over there. We pull into the parking lot. Somebody had told us, a couple of days before, if his fingernails are clean, he's a cop. I don't know why he told us that. It just, yeah. I guess people have the assumption that uh, users are dirty or, or whatever, right? So um, we pull into the parking lot. The guy comes, walks up towards us, and he leads over in the passenger seat. And he puts his hands, like, on the door to kind of lean in and talk. The yeah. first thing I noticed, his hands are clean. Like, he just got a manicure. But I just blow it. I put it in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm tripping or whatever. I hear them kind of talking back and forth, like, where's the money? Well, where's the drugs? Where's the money? By this time, again, if anybody knows me, if I'm in the car waiting more than five minutes, I'm aggravated already. <laughs> so uh, by this time, I, I'm already aggravated because they're going back and forth. 
And uh, I just put the car in reverse and I drive off. As soon as I drive off, I pull out of the parking lot and uh, a truck starts following us. Where is this happening at? This is at the Hilton on 360, on Lamar 360. I don't know if you oh, know God. where that's at. Okay, yeah. It's at the Hilton Hotel. And uh, we're driving off. We're taking the back roads. And by this time, he gets a call. And it's the officer. I'm assuming. Oh, I get. I know now it's the officer. He's still, hey, what's up, man? Where you, what happened? Nah, you're bullshitting. You're bullshitting. I guess the guy talks to him into telling him, you know, hey, come back. We're good. So he's like, look, I tell you Damn. what, I'm going to send my brother over there. He has the drugs. So at that time, I seen the truck turn around. That's that's these are all red flags that yeah. we should have knew what was going on. So um, I decided to stop at the weed house that we're at. Luckily, they don't luckily they didn't follow us there. Like I said, again, that that's another whole nother charge or whatever. So we put everything up. We turn off all the electricity. We make sure everything's put up. We go to his house. We get to his house. We drop off. I didn't know he had a gun at that time. I had one on me. So we have two pistols at this time. Something else we could have got caught with. And that's That itself is an automatic six years apiece for us. So we drop the guns off. We drive to my house. We go inside. By this time, he knows that his brother got busted because they're on the phone the whole time. That's how we know to go drop the guns off. Oh. And his brother's tell I'll never forget his brother tells him, Turn around, I had a flat tire, come back. <gasps> and he's like, Hell no, nah, man, that's like something ain't right. And then we hear him getting tackled on the floor because I guess he he told him, Nah, man, it's just the cops, it's the cops. So by then they tackle him. We hear him on the rumbling on the floor. Oh, because they're trying to get to him before they let y'all know. Yeah. So so we're at the house. We get to my house, we go inside. I live in a duplex and we have a front door that faces our neighbor's front door. The neighbor knocks on the door and he's like, hey, there's a lot of vehicles driving around the house. They're not they're not cop cars. They're just undercover vehicles. So I get everything I have. I think I have like four jars of weed. Uh, I had like, at that time I didn't have anything because I, 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 I don't know why. I don't know why. I just didn't have no drugs at that specific time. I had like residue, baggy scales, um, bullets for my gun, like fireworks. I just got a, everything that I felt like was illegal, put it in the bag, gave it to my neighbor. Uh, he goes back to his house. That's a, a good-ass neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Bubba, I don't know if you remember. Him, no. The black guy. So uh, I go back to my house, and he's on the phone with his – no, at this time, he's calling his wife, telling his wife, hey, we got busted. We're in trouble. I'm telling him, man, don't don't talk like that. We're good. I'm going to go to the store and get a cigar, and I'm going to drive around and see what's going on. I walk outside. I put the key in the door to get in the, to unlock the door. The car door? Yeah, and I hear, freeze, freeze, get on the ground. I turn around, and just like the movies, FBI, ATF, Grand Prairie, any law enforcement you can think of with their guns drawn, they throw me on the floor. Uh, I don't, I'm not really saying much because I already know, like, keep my mouth shut, right? Right. So um, they're kind of, like, getting aggressive with me and uh, got their the whole police brutality shit, right? So um, by this time, they had already made it to the to go look for him. They went inside because my door was open. If the door would have been closed, they wouldn't have been able to. They wouldn't have, I mean, of course, they knew he was in there, but it would have... 
prolong the situation. They didn't have a search warrant, none of that. So with my door being open, that gave them full access because they seen a fugitive inside. They seen a fugitive inside a residence that gives them automatic. So uh, they go in there, they arrest him. They take us to the back. We had a carport area. They sit us down. They're getting all our information. Um, by the, it's by it's two thirty around this time. I noticed that I got to pick up Azalea because I told them that I was going to pick her up. I told her I was going to pick her up. Um, I call her mom. I tell her mom a little bit of what's going on. She's already on the phone bitching and yelling. I didn't told like she warned me several times not to hang around this guy several times. Damn. But I, I took loyalty and friendship over. I guess. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, someone trying to give you good advice, yeah. I guess. You probably saw her more as like nagging. Yeah. Than- so um, we're out there. I think they drive him off by the time she gets there. I'm not sure. But she gets there because they're searching the house at this, t- at this time. She gets there. I'm handcuffed. She doesn't say two words to me. She just walks up to me and slaps me <laughs> like the blood out of my mouth. And. You know, we start crying a little bit and she's telling me, I told you, I told you, get his ass out of here. She At first, she's like, get him the fuck out of my face. Yeah. But after she realized what was going on, we just kind of like, hug. that was handcuffed or whatever. So uh, long story short, now I know that they've found baggies, residues and scales that look similar to the drugs that he had. So that's how they kind of linked us two together and uh even when we were in court they put the dea agent on on stand and they they said you know do you know salvador no have you ever seen salvador no do you know him selling drugs no like man i thought i was gonna go home yeah but uh back to that day they uh azalea's mom ended up picking her up from school and dropping her off and then still making it back to where i was at oh you were still there yeah i was still there they were searching the house and everything so they, she got to see them drive me off. She gave me like a couple cigarettes. I seen a couple people I knew drive by. And again, I, I didn't know what the feds was. I thought it was, you know, you go and you make bond and you go home. It ain't like that. Like I said, once they got you, they know everything. You're not going yeah. home. You're not going. You don't get a bond. You they don't, don't get just get you when they have like one small thing on you. They make sure they have their full case. Yeah. So, uh, you know, going through the court proceedings i know now that they knew everybody they asked us about you know uh azalea's cousins at that time um friends that we hung around whose address is this who's this person and you know of course we didn't say nothing so they we got arrested just us three and uh the one who actually got caught with the drugs he got 15 and a half Mm -hmm. I didn't even know there was a. I knew there was a second person. I didn't even know there was a third yeah, it was person. A th- the two, the two other people were brothers. Yeah. The one that actually got caught with the drugs was uh, he got fifteen and a half. The brother that set everything up, he he got a two point enhancement. That is what they call it because uh, he was like the ringleader. I guess you could say he set everything up. You do this, you take the drugs there, you drive me here, type deal. So he got seventeen and a half. And I got 12 and a half for, so basically they gave us 44 years over one pound of methamphetamine. I don't know if you know, like. It's not that much. Yes and no, but not, it's not, not 44 for that years time. worth. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not for that you, time. You got people out here molesting kids and touching kids yep. and get probation. That was one thing that 
like even like when I was in high school, when I would hear other stories and how long people got, that's something that would piss me off because yeah. I'm like, that's not nearly, that's like so much worse than what my uncle did. And yeah. they got what, a couple years? That's time. So uh, we we ended up going to jail. This is, this is a crazy story because this is around the time that I went to jail and all this happened on a Friday. I went to jail on Friday, Monday, Azalea's mom told me she was pregnant with Marcus. Mm. So I found out like the second or third day I was in there. She said, I don't know. I'm feeling, I've been feeling sick. I don't know if it's a situation because she has like, she has, she gets real bad stress and her face kind of like gets stiff. Oh, She's had that happen to her a couple of times. And I, we thought it was that, like, you're just going through stress, but she ended up finding out she was pregnant. That was a more, uh, even more reason I need to get home. I need to go home. And so at that point, were you still thinking like, oh. I thought I was getting out. Yeah. I thought I was getting out because I haven't, we had, I hadn't, they separated us. I went to a certain jail. They went, I guess they try to pull the, well, he's telling this tactic or he told us this. Yeah. They try to do all that. So they separated us. I didn't talk to nobody until that following Monday. I was talking to uh, Zelia's mom on the phone, but I didn't get to talk to nobody else as far as like, other, so we didn't know what was going on. We finally met up at another jail on Monday and then we kind of realized by talking to everybody and getting to know the procedure when you go to jail, like, hey, we're not going nowhere. And uh, I want to fast forward a little bit. Azalea used to come and see me. I, I, I knew that 12 years was a long time, 12 and a half years. At that time, I felt like my life was, it was over. Mm-hmm. I, I, I seen myself getting sentenced to 12 and a half years. And I was like, there, I mean, what, what do I have to live for now? Yeah. But um, I remember telling Azalea one day, like, hey, you're going to wait for me? Because, like I said, I knew 12 and a half years was, I knew her mom. I thought her mom was going to wait, but I knew we're it's only hard. human. It's hard. Yeah, we're only human. We only, especially females, they they need companionship. And, or y'all need, you know, different things than guys do. Yeah. But uh, not, and this, I am not making excuses for it or nothing. I'm just giving you my point of view. Um, I had told Azalea, I, I, we were talking through glass. Did you ever come to visit me? Yeah, I Did remember, you? yeah. I and that was when it was the phone. There was glass. Yeah, there was glass. That I remember was... you playing around and putting your hand up. <laughs> that was the first time I seen Anthony in skinny jeans. <laughs> that was that era, so yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I was talking through Azalea through glass, and I told her, uh, I looked at her, and I was like, Mia, are you going to wait? you going to wait for me? She was like, yeah, what do you mean? I'm going to wait. And and I was like, it's 12 and a half years. It's a long time. It's I guess she didn't comprehend it yeah. back then. She just thought it was I was going to be gone for the weekend. Because there was times where I had went to jail for minor things, and I would be there two or three days and bond out, and she wouldn't even know. Yeah, she would think that I was gone somewhere or right. working. Or, but um, yeah, we ended up getting over almost forty-four years or something like that. I calculated it one time, but. Throughout this process in, in, in the federal system, you get sent through, you get sent all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally. And for, for no reason at all? Just, yeah, for no reason at all. Just, they were going to put you where they want to put you. One of the brothers, the brother that actually got caught with the dope, we did a lot of time together in prisons. The reason our time was split up like that was because, um, like I said, he got a two-point enhancement for leadership role. So he got 17 and a half years the other guy got 15 and i got 12 and a half and it was split up like that because in the federal system they go by a bar like the more felonies you got you go over a mm. section um 
the longer you've been in prison, you go down a section. So wherever it meets up, your your time is predetermined before you even get arrested. What it, they 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 say, okay, we're gonna get him for this, this, and this, and this. You go to a tablet that they got, and that's how much time you're gonna get, basically. So they had two more felonies than me, so they they had got bumped over a couple uh. times. So that's why I had got the lowest time. But I just wanted to clear that up. And um, we get sent to different we get sent to different prisons just throughout the United States. And I did a lot of time with the brother. They got caught with the mm-hmm. with just because of our uh, gang affiliation. So we got sent to a lot of the same places. And that's See, a whole. I didn't even know that. That's a whole <laughs> nother. That's a whole nother podcast yeah. uh, that I can get into. I remember. Uh, I can remember them, like my mom, hearing them talk about like your tattoos were d- determined, like where you went and all that. Yeah. But I, I never put it together in my mind that you were affiliated. Yeah. The uh, the tattoo that I got on the back of my head actually, it's a cowboy symbol. And yeah. and and here in Dallas, Texas, one of the biggest gangs in prison uses that symbol. Oh, I didn't know that. And kind of the way we do it here in Texas is we click up by cities, by whatever city. So every city has a symbol that they use, uh, probably a sports symbol. Like um, Houston uses the the, the horn, yeah. the Texan symbol. Uh-huh. Um, San Antonio uses the San Antonio Spurs. Um, Fort Worth uses a different symbol, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if somebody doesn't know and they're just – a random uh, person off the street, and they're like, "Man, you're a real cowboy fan, ain't you?" I just kind of go with it, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I actually got it for something else. Yeah, we ended up going to a lot of a lot of places together. We we went through a lot of stuff together, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to where I'm gonna go into a little bit of it. Where you can look a man in the eye. I remember him looking me in the eye. We were gonna get into it with somebody, and it's not like get into it like we're gonna fight or whatever. Yeah. Right? You're gonna go until somebody yeah. dies, or, or that's that's how it is in higher higher custody in the federal system. One day he came up to me and he told me eye to eye, like man to man, like I want to go home, like I want to make it home. I don't want to die here. And I did have reality moments before then, but at that time, I, I really knew this shit was real. But we can get into I, that. I have that written down. Oh, for real? When, how long did it take to hit you, and when did it set in that like um, you were going to be gone for a minute? Honestly, if they would have let me out six years, seven years into it, I would have probably done the same thing. It didn't. It didn't hit me until the last years of it. Like, damn, I did. Ten, I did a long time. Luckily, I got uh, when Obama came into office. I got to reduce. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yeah. Everybody got to. Re- if you had like a nonviolent drug offense, you yep. got to reduce sentence. So yeah, all of us did get a reduced sentence. I think the 17 went down to 15. The 15 went down to 12. Mine went down to 10. I forgot all about that. I remember hearing it and just being yeah. happy. I was happy at the same time. There's a lot of things that y'all don't know that I went through that like I was scared to come home. Yeah. Like I would do stuff on. Per- like I turned down my house. Ha- you get. You get. However much halfway house they agree to give you to to get you back adapt to society, I turned that down because I just didn't want to deal with it. Um, I knew that I had a grown son and a grown daughter to come home to. I knew that I had like Shit just phase. yeah, like just a bunch of stuff that was gonna hit. Mind you, back then I thought my life was over. So I don't know if you ever seen the movie Blood In Blood Out, but when he goes to prison, he's like. 
this is this is my destiny. This is what yeah. I was born to do. When I went in there, I told myself, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this my all. What it you know that's just the type like, of person I am too. Like you gotta like, make the most of it. Not only that, like well, yeah, I guess you could say that, but it, that's just the kind of person I am too. Like if I if I if I do a certain job or if I go somewhere or if I do something with somebody, I want it to be the best like yeah. experience or I'm gonna give it my all or so when I got I was already affiliated when I got there, but when I got there and finally made the decision, I'm not going nowhere. This is my life. I, I was told myself I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna be the best. This group that there is, right? Uh, yeah. So, so like I, I, by the time it was time for me to come home, I talked to Big Talk, but I was scared. I was scared to come home. And there's a lot of decisions I made when I got home that I wish I could go back and and. But for all those who are who were in my position or are going to be in my position or situation and just take it one day at a time. Families first, take it slow. Like everybody adapts to society different. And after doing, I can see where people go to jail and they come home and it, it's like nothing. But when you go to jail and you experience certain things and you see, it's almost like traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Like Sometimes I feel like I have PTSD. I smoke like 3,500 cigarettes <laughs> a day. Oh, and, that's your coping mechanism? <laughs> that's my coping I guess mechanism. that makes sense. Yeah, there's just a lot of things that I went through that still affect me to this day. But I'm I'm not the type of person to be like I'm gonna keep blaming this on this situation. I I gotta kind of get up out of that. Well, have you ever thought about therapy to help you, uh, like to work through some of the things? I think not, we all need details, therapy to a point, yeah, to a certain extent. We do. Um, I always I grew up. Maybe a lot of people wouldn't understand, especially a lot of people in my family, but. And my son is right here. He's right here listening to me. And I, I, I want him to take this and look at it as a positive light. Don't look at don't look at me and be like, you know, that was dumb because we're we were all young and dumb, yeah. right? But um I grew up in the gangster era, right? I grew up when gangster rap came out. And we all know that like um hip hop is a big influence in our community and our, you know, it's, we're Hispanic, but they it still plays a big part. But when I first saw Minister Society and What's Boys the other in the Boys in the Hood. I knew I wanted to be a gangster. I don't know <laughs> why. That's why I say like movies are influential. They people, are, stuff yeah. you see on TV is influential. Especially for pe- young people. Yeah, yes. like I knew that I didn't want to never, I don't, I, not necessarily a gangster, but like I just knew I wanted to be in the street. I knew I didn't want to have to work like slave for my money. I, I wanted it fast. I wanted everything that the fast money came with, the cars, the girl, like all that, you know? So, um, it is it is influential. That's why I try to stay on him about what he does, what he watches. There's certain things on TV that I do not agree with, and it could hit everybody different. Like it hits everybody's brain. Everybody takes what they see in it. Yeah, in a, a completely diff- different way. Every five people can watch the same thing and take it in a different way. Yeah. And like somebody the, can watch it and just be done with it. Yeah, somebody he, else can watch it and really focus on it and do what you did. If you Whatever you do, try to see the good in it. Don't don't take it for what it's worth. T- like, oh, man, oh man, I can get into. Oh, I believe in the Illuminati and all that shit. You do? Yes. Like, <laughs> there's so, there's people who control what we watch, control what we do, control. You know, like that type of shit. Yeah. The food that they feed us. Oh, I can get into all that. Like red dye. It's fake. Everything's fake. But um. So why aren't you vegan? I need to try to. I want to get into <laughs> that. There's a lot of things I want to do. Um, I know. Looking back, my family's probably like, because I can 
pretty much honestly say I was like the only one that kind of turned out bad. You know what I mean? Like not bad as far as a person, as far as like don't have a heart or don't care, like getting in trouble and in as and far out of jail. Rap sheet. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you could say a rap sheet. Because I tell my mom this all the time, like you had four kids. I was the only one who turned out like this. So there's nothing that you did. I feel like my childhood could have been a little different, but we all have our decisions. We all, I was the type of person that always thought about what I did after it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, well, you can't turn it back now. Yeah. But I, I'm at the point where like, I think about what I do first. And I, I think we all need to do that. Like, mm-hmm. What's going to be the outcome first before we just jump into anything? Yep. That's how I am. I have to think it all out. Sometimes I got to write it out. My pros and cons list. I know that there's like different, a whole bunch of different parts that play into it, but what do you think affected you the most while you were in? What affected me the most? Like, was it, do you think like your environment bothered you the most? Did being away from your family, missing You know what bothered me the most? I guess it's, what bothered me the most is how I made everybody else feel. Like, it didn't bother me. It bothered me that I was in there. Of course, I wanted to, like, who wants to be in jail, right? Yeah. But, and, and again, that deal wasn't my deal. I just came to reality. I just came, not reality. I just came to a point where, because I, I, I've always believed in God. I always knew there was a God, but. Made you question him. Yeah. Like, I would, I would, I was the type of person that I would get into a situation and I'd be like, God, if you take me out of this situation, I promise. Yeah. And like, it didn't happen. So I'm like, oh, it ain't for real. But when I was gone, I had a, I spent a lot of time in solitary confinement, say, and I got comfortable with myself. I found myself. I found a lot. Of, I, I talked to God a lot. What was the question you asked me? I forgot. I'm sorry. What affected you the most? Oh, um, th- that wasn't my deal, but I felt like, because I've done a lot of bad shit, like rob people and tie people up and like bad shit that y'all don't even know about. And uh, I felt like because I'm in trouble now for everything that I didn't get caught for. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I did my time. And then, like I said, it didn't affect me. It didn't hit me till like years into it. But I kind of had to live like a double life, I guess you could say, because you get 15 minute phone calls, you get emails. They call me GP in there. I chose that name because I'm from Grand Prairie, Texas and well, the G and the P. So yeah. um, you you go to the phone for 15 minutes or you go to the email for 30 minutes or you go to visit for two hours and you come out and your uncle Sal and your Salvador or your dad or your whatever you but then when you leave that door you got to let that life be it and now your GP again yeah, because, majority because of your life is there especially like the role that I played because like I said I, w- I was going to give it my all so wherever I went I was going to be him right so I, f- I had like a lot of people that were I had to keep my mind straight I had to think for a lot of other people so I couldn't let my grandpa died when I was in say, and uh, I didn't even cry. I, I didn't even cry. You couldn't feel it. I couldn't. It didn't feel real. I had a cellmate that was in a different gang, so I didn't want to show no weakness. Uh-huh. It was just a whole. I went through a whole mess. Earlier, you said like you had to train yourself to not snore. So, what other things did you when you got in there? You had to un- unlearn and unteach yourself. Um. Like even small things that you just normal things that you do really in there. It's it's all of your how would you say it? your past your past through every. It's like its own world in there. Like 
I know that there's, I said there's prisons and eat, but there's so much time that they give you and there's so little time to be at a certain, yeah, like you can only be at a certain prison for so long and then they send you here. Especially if you get in trouble, they send you away. If you're, if you're too much of a problem in that prison. So a lot of people run into a lot of different people throughout the years. Mm -hmm. They always say, whatever you do follows you. So like your ticket, your pass to get through everywhere is how you present yourself and how you respect other people, you know, your you or whatever. Right. So a real big thing in there is respect. And like I said, I spent a lot of time in the shoe. And when you're 24 seven with another person, you got to have manners. You got to clean up. So and not only that, like when I was home, I grew up, you know, grandma, mm -hmm. you know, uh, my mom, she's real Clean. tidy spotless yeah. so that kind of followed me in there so what i had to get adjusted to and learn real quick was like my mom's not here to pick up after me my girl's not here to pick up after me i'm you not gonna pick up after now. bubba <laughs> so shit everybody got to kind of do their own thing and pick up after themselves yeah so i would say that's the kind of, that's like just respecting others and it's a sorry place that you have to learn it but you have to learn it because mm -hmm. if not your time's gonna be even more miserable you yeah. You okay? So you mentioned the neighbor earlier. Have you ever spoken to that person since? No, I. He was an older man. He was he was living there with his sister. I went to school with this. I went to school with this guy, right? Um, he was with this girl since middle school. They ended up having kids. He ended up killing himself. He's a black guy, by the way. The reason I bring that up is because that's like statistically low that black guys do that. It's rare. But anyway, so um. I think maybe maybe back then. I don't think that's rare now. Oh, for real? Yeah. I th I think it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's rare, but it's it's more common for a white guy to do it than a black guy to do it. I guess you could say. But I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I have to look it up. But they, anyways, <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, their kids. I kind of live next door to my my childhood friends' kids' family. I guess. Oh, you okay. So, uh, yeah, but we were cool. We used to smoke together. Uh, you know, weed is like a a form of, hey, that's a hello to somebody, you know, like, especially you can tell when somebody comes from the street, like, you know, you just got to throw a little nod and they throw a little nod. And, you know, so we, uh, we just kind of smoked together. We, we hung out. He would, I used to breed pit bulls back then. So he would come over and hang out and we would, he was cool. Oh, but I haven't talked to him. I reached out to that girl because I have her on Facebook and I'm like, Hey, where, where's he at? And she was like, he's around, woo-woo, but it didn't really go no further than that. So I, I do want to catch up with him, though. Yeah, like, there's people cool. that I've caught up. You know, I didn't realize growing up, I don't know, growing up, I thought that, like, being hard was cool, I guess you could say. And that's real big of me to admit, by the way. But uh, <laughs> So I, I didn't really approach nobody. I didn't really talk to nobody unless they approached me first. But going away kind of helped me realize, like, I knew a lot of fucking people. And there was a lot of people that had respect for me and like when i came home i got a lot of welcome home that i didn't i didn't expect you know what yeah. i mean but yeah we we can go into the in to prison detail i guess if uh if the viewers want to know do they get to like drop likes and like messages at the bottom i or? get a lot of messages just directly oh, to me messages and texts yeah oh, okay that's cool from when we first started to right now, I feel loosened up. So I yeah. feel ready to go. No, <laughs> well, we can keep going. <laughs> no, I can playing. always split it into two different episodes. <laughs> I'm just playing. Because <laughs> there's so much more there that is. we could dig into. Like, we could dig into, like, the things that you missed, like, as far as family. Like, what things 
what what parts of the outside world that was happening in your family that stood out to you even now looking back yeah and how many family members have you actually got to do this so far or just in general you as Elia and Dre I would encourage the family to come and be on the podcast because it's it's I don't know why you did it or what your your um motive was but our family I don't want to get into all that but I just want I just it kind of feels like a um I wanted it not a stress reliever but like you know you can finally get to talk about things that you wouldn't really normally yeah. talk about and you feel more open to it like i i know that family members are going to go back and listen to this and be like wow i can't believe he did that and but it's not that i was keeping anything from y'all or wanted to hide anything from y'all it's just we don't our momo raised us better than that you know what i mean and there's a lot of things that we got to like live up to and hold up to but as far as other family members that that Especially like my mom, this would be good therapy for her. Yeah, therapy—that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, that's what I wanted. To, I wanted it to be therapeutic for me and anybody else who comes on, and for people that listen. Yeah. But like what you were saying about our family, I feel like I'll, I'll say whatever you don't want to say. No, it's, <laughs> I don't care. But I feel like they—I I don't want to say put on a front, but kind of put on a front as far as like our love for each other. You can you can scroll on Facebook all day and see us saying "love you," hope everything's okay. But then when we're in person, nobody talks like that. Nobody talks about their real life in person, and I think that's kind of why I um, I kind of put up a wall when I come around, or sometimes I just won't come around because I like I don't want like service level relationships. I want especially with my family. I want to sit here and I don't want to play drinking games, the same games that we play every damn time. I want to talk about like real life. Because we've known each other think, all our lives, like we, gotta, we we can relate to each other. Like let's just be real with one another. I think we got a the wrong perspective on family. Like it looks good on paper, yeah. But we would have all much better relationships if we could just be more open yep. and say like, "Hey, this is what's bothering me." Yep. And this is what I don't like. Mm-hmm. And family support. I never really. I've, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I felt like an outcast a lot of my life, but there's times that I, oh man, we can get into the whole where I felt like the family wasn't there the way I felt like the way that I thought that they were supposed to be. Yeah. Right. But again, being in there growing up, I kind of like look at life from their kind of view. I'm not making excuses for them, but I can see like everybody made their own choices. Everybody, yeah. I worked hard for my shit. Why am I going to send it to him? You know, like that type of shit or whatever. But um, there's a lot of things that we all have held in that we need to address to certain people. And, oh, damn, I got off the subject. Hold on. I, I've been, I've been through situations like now I'm doing the hopscotch. I got injured on the job. My foot's broke. Now the situation that I'm in now, I've seen the family go to different levels. Are you okay? Do you need this? And it's, it's, it's fucking nice. You know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it's refreshing. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> Damn, you know what I mean? And I think that's what we need more of instead of, like you said, Judging. well, yeah, there's a lot of, ju- there's a lot of, there's a lot of people stuck in their ways. And I, I get it. If you're stuck in your ways, I get it. But like, be open-minded just because you're stuck in your ways doesn't mean the next person is mm-hmm. like, be open-minded to what somebody else. I feel like is. our family too is so like old school. They're okay with being stuck in their ways. They're okay with not hearing and agreeing with everybody else and then yeah. feeling however they feel and just letting it be. Because I, I hate I hate to put it this way, 
But if, and I'm just going to use me and you for an example. If me and you can't sit down and have a conversation, say like if I want to bring something up to you that's bothering me, right? Mm-hmm. And you get up and you get mad and you storm away. You're not grown enough to have was, that conversation. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know like, what I mean? That's like, not an adult conversation. Yeah, like, and there's, there's, I think things would happen like that if we yep. decided to, hey. Yeah, man. it has happened. Yeah. This is like going completely off subject from prison. Right. But uh, there's times where I feel like outcast with our family because I feel like I, I say the things that not to be a bitch. And I feel like people view me in our family. But I say the things that nobody else is going to say to stick up for whoever needs to be stuck up for. And they don't like it. I've thought about that. Right. And this this is my conclusion that I've came up with. Right. We have a small family. I feel like we have a small yeah, family. I think so you know, too. just from our side of the family, it's our grandparents on down, right? Mm-hmm. The family tree. They had four kids. I think the first generation of kids grew up a whole different way. Not, not necessarily grew up a whole different way, but got a, a different certain a respect level for the kids, right? So when the next generation of kids come along, which is you guys, and then the ones after that, it's not that y'all don't have a respect for them, but y'all, y'all have y'all's own... Everybody's independent and have their own thought process. Y'all are not going to hold y'all's tongue. Y'all are going to say what y'all got to say. Hi, hey, this is what's bothering me. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I feel like, and I'm just using this for an example. We know better. Yeah. <laughs> not that we're scared. Not that we're fucking, I'll stand up to any one of them. But I think they spent more time, like, they took care of us. They they raised us. They, they showed us more. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day, like, when you raise somebody and you're being intimate with them as far as like changing their diaper or that type of intimacy, yeah. right? You have a whole different connection, right? Uh-huh. So like they were there for our generation. They just got older and didn't have enough time for that next, you know, life goes yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. so y'all don't have that certain respect. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Not that y'all don't respect them. Because that's what that's what I say about, uh, about Momo. Like mm-hmm. everybody has... Everybody feels how they feel about Momo, right? And then for me, like, I feel the same way, yes. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't have as close of a relationship as, like, you did with Momo yeah. because I didn't grow up around her. She didn't raise me like yeah. she raised you. But, yeah. Man, it, that's a whole other thing, too, about... Uh, man, I want to talk to you about a whole lot of stuff about how breaking the cycle of generation. Yes. All, uh, we need to do I, I think the same way, though. Yeah. I don't know. I had fun. I'll be available whenever you need me. <laughs> Let's do some um, get-to-know-you questions. If you were invisible for a day, what would you do? If I was invisible for a day, what would I do? I don't know, man. That's a good one. <laughs> like, the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, hooters. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, what, could, what would you do besides what else? Invisible? Yeah. Okay, now that I'm thinking about it, you can inv- invisibly go into a bank. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Put some stuff in my your mind pocket. My mind was in the gutter. <laughs> I would do it, yeah, I would go get money. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely do that. <laughs> okay, but would the money be invisible too? Well, if or would it just be money walking? Well, if you have a bag and the bag is on you, the bag is invisible. Oh, okay, Makes but that sense. also true because then if you put it in the bag, <laughs> you still see the money see? floating out of there. See, or you can just go sit in a room and listen to what people are saying about you. <laughs> true. Okay, would you rather live without music or TV? Ooh. I think I would rather live without TV. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because I've lived without TV before and radio is a lifesaver. No matter if you listen to whatever, it's therapeutic. It's yeah. When I was in Pennsylvania, 
and I didn't have, I didn't listen to rap for like two years. They don't, there wasn't rap. I, I was like mean? an Amish community. Oh, we had, we listened to like the top 100 music, I guess, like oh. uh, Rihanna, yeah. and like, but like not pop. like the hip shit, like the like things that you would hear on 106.1. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Shout out 106.1. <laughs> okay, what's your favorite cuss word? Damn it, is that a cuss word? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's my favorite. And what song do you currently have on repeat? Oh man, um, Snow Allegra. Oh, I like her. Good vibes. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed having you on. This is good. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I was kind of nervous at first, but I I don't know. I fell into it. It becomes. I felt like I was rumbling, but no, you weren't. Hopefully, y'all, y'all. Hopefully, y'all. You know, it helps whoever's going through issues or problems or same situation. Hopefully, it helps them because I'm all into bettering yourself and being a better you. Yeah. I tell my son that all the time to. Try to be better than you were yesterday. That's all I you have can do. that on my. If you go in my house, I have a letter board. You, you know what? We just. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And it says, "Don't be the same. Do better." We're over here talking about everybody else and how they should do better, but we have so much shit in common and didn't even realize it. Who me? And you? Oh yeah, like thought process and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks y'all for listening. See y'all next week. This some bullshit. <laughs>